All right, we continue the conversation on the Talking Point 13 after 10. Let me welcome onto the show Advocate Ntabiseng Sibanya Morali, who is the Chairperson of the Commission for Gender Equality. Advocate, good morning. Thank you for your time this morning. Ntabi Singh? All right, it looks like we're having difficulty with that line. Let me welcome... I can hear you. All right, all right. We can hear you on air now, loud and clear. Let me also welcome Lechisa Zenodi, the Deputy Speaker of the National Assembly. Um, Deputy Speaker, good evening to you. Thanks. uh, Good morning, rather. Thank you for your time this morning. (laughs) Uh, Good morning, Kathy. We have slept. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also joining us for this conversation is Tepo Mugwena, who is the founder and executive chairman, Moving Ahead Development Agency, and he'll be joining us a little later after 10.30. A good place to start would perhaps be with the Commission for Gender Equality that is also uh, tasked really with monitoring and oversight when it comes to um, programs in particular that the public and private sector undertakes when it comes to gender-based violence. And Tabi saying this is the mandate that you as the commission have. How would you say that you have been faring in that role of monitoring and oversight? Okay, uh, thank you very much, Kathy. Let me just clarify, gender ba- monitoring of gender-based violence is one of many oversight areas that we have for both public and private. Uh, So far, we have uh, embarked on a a number of campaigns to actually call people to come before us to respond to questions that we have. And uh, we have uh, been able to call both government departments, government entities, as well as private entities. We are finding that on paper, on both sides of the sector, even with civil society, all is well. However, when you scratch the surface to look deeper, then you find that a lot of the the policies are actually not being implemented or when they are implemented, insufficient funding and and resource personnel uh, is is actually allocated. So everything is, is almost operating at 50%. With, with private sector, mostly, it's about things being on paper and everything being glossy and numbers, numbers, numbers. But in terms of the impact, uh, you know, they tend to be found wanting. Part of your job, of course, is also to ensure that you are advancing interests of um, equity, gender mainstreaming, and are also making sure that you are promoting um, interests, you know, in in, in line with with what I've just said. So when we then see that there is this lack of weather coordination, um, resources going into the relevant programs that will be effective in helping us deal with gender-based violence, what then have you been doing about it? So far, we have approached a number of, uh, or rather, approached and or being invited uh, by a number of portfolio committees uh, as a form of escalating our matters to them. The Department of Basic Education, when we're talking about teenage pregnancy, particularly with uh, the perpetrators 
being the, the, the educators in the schools. We have also uh, uh, had a department of uh, public works wherein we were raising the issue of their uh, agreement in 2018 after the first GDV summit where they said that we make available their properties so that they can be turned into uh, shelters to, uh, uh, to provide for women who are running away from home. We have also approached the Department of uh, Labor where we are looking at the issue of COIDA where domestic workers, for example, were excluded. And after litigation by us, then they have actually now been included as people who are supposed to benefit from, from COIDA. So that there's a lot that we're doing. And uh, we not only have we focused at national, we have also gone to provincial, in particular the Free State province, where we found a, you know, a, a lot of responsive action from them. We have consulted with a number of their portfolio committees, um, the premiers, the premier's office, the previous one, we have not uh, met with this one, but we found a very, very responsive situation. In fact, in one of the police stations in Sasolburg, when we visited there, we found that it actually is a scrapyard of all the old cars that were brought there and nothing ever happened. And uh, to date, we are getting feedback that more and more of those cars are being fixed and taken back on the road. All right. Also part of that there was the voice of advocate Ntavi saying Sepanya Morali, who is the chairperson of the Commission for Gender Equality. Also part of this conversation is advocate Praise Gambula, who is the head of the promotion of the rights of vulnerable persons in the Department of Justice. Advocate Gambula, good morning to you as well, and, and thank you for being part of this conversation. Thank you, Casey, and thanks for the invitation. I'll give you an opportunity to weigh in in a moment. I want to go to the deputy speaker, Lechisa Zenodi. Mr. Zenodi, one of the difficulties, of course, that we face as, as a country, and interesting to hear Ntabi Singh speak about, you know, the fact that they often are called to parliament to give account to various portfolio committees on projects and programs and to help escalate some of the difficulties. We seem to have become very good at speaking about things and looking like we are doing something at a policy level. But when we get down to the nitty gritty, the difficulties that often that is not translating into any tangible difference, whether it's in government departments, whether it is in the resource allocation. So we talk about things, we make commitments to do certain things, but that doesn't happen at the end of the day. And there's very little accountability over why that is the case. Well, Tessie, let me uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, The first thing I want to point out, I'd like you to speak to the police, the leadership of the police. I'm with the deputy minister here, and I'll ask him to identify either himself or we'll communicate to the minister himself to give an example of what gets done in order to deal with the problems as you describe it. And one of those examples is dealing with the backlogs in the DNA uh, that was awaited for 
court proceedings, for example, to continue as quickly as possible so that people do not stay long enough, or rather long before their cases are heard because of the unavailability of DNA reports. That problem has been, was identified and action was taken, not just by the officials, but by the ministry itself, uh, being very proactive in getting things done and not leaving the place to ensure that uh, implementation occurs. It is a problem in many respects, but uh, that example is crucial because for many people, their cases would have proceeded and being handled in the court so that the guilty buggers are dealt with by the law, they face the might of the law, and so on. So yes, it is a problem and has been dealt with. I wanted to add to what Dabisane said, that we've just finished, completed the, the budget review report recommendations, which is what committees, having spoken to the departments, that they want an explanation, an account of what was done uh, so that as the mini budget is passed, for example, uh, that those considerations are factored into the into the implementation programs of the police, so that there's practical implementation. So they do know that they will be asked that the following information was placed before you. Where is does it show in your budget that you've provided for it and it's going to happen? So those are some of the practical steps that have been taken to ensure that this turnaround occurs uh, where it is most appropriate. The difficulty, of course, is that part of the mandate that had been given to government and, and government departments is that they should be a portion of the budget that goes towards the implementation of programs as identified, you know, by um, some of the recommendations that have come out of the presidential summits for gender-based violence and all of the work that advocacy groups have been doing in that space. But where we sit today is that even Treasury is unable to give a consolidated figure of how much has gone towards those programs across government departments over, let's say, the last two to three years, if we're to start calculating from 2019. And yet, Mm. Parliament still very much approves these budgets, even without the clarity of, have we met the mandate for the priority areas of the country? Are we meeting our end of, of the deal when it comes to holding governments, holding including members of 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 cabinet that have to come and give account to parliament accountable well just what you are raising is a crucial importance part of the authority that parliament has is precisely the authority to refuse to accept a budget uh, allocation to a department the problem is the complexity of where that money goes to and if stopped, what the consequences are likely to be. Because it's not just about punishing the incompetent or the slow of implementation. It is also ensuring that we get programs continuing that are continuing. Because any delay in allocation of funds, even for a month, 
whilst we are sorting those who have not done their work, is dangerous to implementation. So we mustn't create other problems by the solutions we propose. Part of the reluctance to, to do what we are suggesting is precisely that these budgets are often integrated and we need to do that. And in fact, uh, Treasury is meant to have that capacity to produce that information. State South Africa does a wonderful work of measuring what we undertook to do, what its impact is in terms of numbers. So even in budget uh, treasury uh, uh, related allocations that often return, needs to be pointed out that for this year, this is what we are we send to Department A and this is the progress we are receiving. Uh, there's no reason why they should not be held before the public, including there in Parliament where these issues has been raised with them before, so that we have a better, speedier uh, evaluation reports. The Department of Evaluation, Monitoring and Evaluation has been created precisely to achieve that objective, that we do not have delays in accounting for the impact of what we allocated resources to, or that which we said we are going to do, and the progress we are making around it. That's exactly what they were meant to do and achieve. Advocate Kambula, let me come to you and give you an opportunity to also weigh in, at least from the perspective of the Justice Department, which is really central again to um, what is perceived to be the experience of, of victims and survivors who, when they go through processes of the criminal justice system, feel that, you know, sometimes they're just not getting what they need in as far as justice being served because people, somebody will be arrested for rape on a Friday. Come Monday, they're back out on the streets and are seemingly able to continue with their lives able to continue threatening um, their victims, and nothing happens. Yeah. You know, with the issue of bail, as you know, I think you probably know that um, there were three GBV Amendment Acts that were passed by Parliament um, in the pre- um, last year, and now all of them are actually operational. One of them was the criminal and Related Matters Amendment Act, which was responding uh, to the 24 demands that we received, uh, that the president received from the total shutdown uh, movement. So one of the demands that we made were on the bail amendments, and the amendments of the bail provisions of the Criminal Procedure Act, that was done. And uh, now, with effect from um, the, the 5th of August, 2022, no bail that must be granted by the police. The reason that you will see a person who is arrested, uh, complaining, going to police and, and have a person charged and arrested, and an hour later is out on the streets, it was because of the, the police bail that, you know, the criminal procedure and allowed the station commander to issue that bail. But right now, we said that no, it must not. 
it's not um, that that provision does not apply in matters where the complainant is in a domestic relationship with the accused person. And secondly, that also applies to the prosecution bail because prosecutors were also allowed to grant bail that is after after court hours and after court days. But now we are saying that this this act now says that. Um, all applications for bail by the accused persons who are in domestic relationship with the complainant must be made formally before court. And we also say that that if the prosecution now during the bail application, the voice of the complainant must be heard. There must be no bail proceedings that goes on, you know, in the court without the voice of the complainant. And also, when the prosecution now and accede to the application uh, by the defense for the accused person to be released on bail. What this act says is that the, the magistrate or the presiding officer must um, conduct an investigation of the risk assessment, all right? And all right. that is where then the voice of the complainant will be heard in such instances. Advocate Kambula, I'm going to give you an opportunity to continue in a moment. It's 10.30, time for the latest headline. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays 9 a.m. till midday. You're listening to The Talking Point. We're leading the conversation on SAFM. This hour, we're focusing on the 16 days of activism campaign uh, for no violence against women and children. And we're looking in particular at what are some of the hindrances systemically, right, that um, result in the high levels of violence and violence against women and children just simply not being moved. So we've heard already from the chairperson for the Commission for Gender Equality. We've also heard from the Deputy Speaker of the National Assembly and Advocate Prez Kambula is the head of the promotion of the rights of vulnerable persons in the Department of Justice and is weighing in from the Department from the Justice Department's perspective, just really on why it is, um, you know, there does seem to be, at least from a a victim experience, um, there does seem to be such challenges. And why it is that when people are arrested on accusations of rapes or facing charges of rape and other associated um, crimes against women, often they're back in the street. So, Advocate Kambula, you spoke to the legislative changes um, that have been made in the last year. What has been the application rate? So, has that made a difference? And do you have actual numbers of the number of um, perpetrators who have been charged with um, rapes or the kind of crimes that we're talking about here, gender-based violence, where the the changes and the amendments to the law have been applied. Okay, I don't have the statistics with me right now, but what I can say is that we have found now an increase in the number of formal bail applications that are made before court. And it is because of the fact that we have this legislation now that restricts police from granting bail outside court hours and outside court days, and the same applies to the prosecution. And I would also like just to add one thing, Kathy, that they are so tough, the provisions for bail are so tough uh, to an extent that if the court 
as um, when considering the interest of justice and then um, makes a decision to grant um, this accused person a bail. The, the act requires that presiding officer to switch now from the criminal proceedings to the civil proceedings and hold an inquiry to grant protection order against the against the accused person so so that um, this occurs when there is no protection order that exists between the parties so the accused person will be granted bail and with bail conditions of course and also there will be a protection order mm. that is granted by the by 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 the court and this is to elevate you know the, the 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 protection so that we don't have a complainant who will have an accused person out on bail and without any any further protective measures that have been granted by court so this is something that is the first in the country sure. and uh, you will not find it in any other country but you know it's great to 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 have that that legislation in place and to talk about how much harder it is for 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 um for accused to be able to get bail but what is the adherence rate to to that particular legislation do we know as i said that i don't have the figures with me right now but I can quickly just get them during this conversation. Sure. All right. Yeah, yeah I will uh, do that. Yeah. Th- th- thank, thank you, Advocate Kambul. I think that um, that 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 will be helpful, um, Mr. Zenodi. You, you also then want yes. to come in on on yeah. on this issue. Yes, I just wanted to say that, Kathy. One of the things that we must uh, uh, perhaps bring back here, some time back as the speakers forum parliament and the nine legislatures we commissioned a high level panel to investigate uh, laws since 94 about a hundred of them about why they were not bringing the outcomes and the results we expected was it implementation was it institutions that are weakly supported that were created or what the reasons are that work has also meant that the building of the capacity of parliament firstly but generally the state must be increased especially in the level of technology the department of justice can indicate how far they are with linking the entire infrastructure of courts in the country to technology so that we can do better and quicker evaluation of decisions emanating from the courts because uh, legislation and its implementation uh, require that uh, level of diligence if we are to measure speedily its impact, that you have technology that connects all the courts and police stations and anybody else, so that when we need uh, the results of that evaluation, such as you are asking at the advocate, you must be able to have it quickly and so on. What you will get now is going to be a rough estimate of what some people may have put together, but estimating not anywhere near reflecting the impact that it may have had already, because the uptake of decided legislation takes its own time as well in the various courts and so on. 
I don't know the systems they use to do that, sure. to take up the latest amendment to legislation quickly enough to begin to show the results it is having, which is part of our general uh, work with stakeholders such as the, the Gender Commission in Parliament. I, I just want to ask again to you um, on, on the part of Parliament, what are the steps that you as Parliament have taken that really indicate or show that this is a Parliament that is taking the lead on on issues of gender-based violence and that it is an issue that Parliament itself also sees and deals with as a priority? Well, uh, you've already heard uh, the advocate talking about the, the receptiveness of Parliament to bring to bear legislation that is relevant to these issues we are discussing. That is what Parliament does. And then, subsequent to that, I referred you to the budget review recommendation reports that each department must present so that uh, must respond to from the committees that are doing oversight over each one of them so that we can see the impact we are doing. This is done publicly, transparently in Parliament so that people listening to the outcomes of their recommendation, they can hear what different ministries are saying they've done to it. In, in the budget that's going to come, there would also be additional reflection on this matter because of the, uh, the role that uh, MPs and, and MPLs in provincial legislatures pose to departments to get their act together to correct their non-implementation issues speedily so that we do not have to keep harping on the same item on the agenda every time because of poor or slow implementation. That's, right. that's what we are doing and can only come out of those uh, during public hearings. Information is often provided by departments about what has been done on any specific issue related to these matters. But it's not enough because we participate also in forums such as where I'm going to be and in the world so that we get the collaboration of others working on the same agenda so that we increase the impact on people's life in their neighborhoods. All right. Tabi Singh, let me bring you in again as the Commission for, for Gender Equality. P- part of the monitoring and, and oversight, you know, of entities such as Parliament, such as um, the Justice Department, they all um, would fall under your watch as well because you, of course, are a Chapter 9 institution. And and, and this is, again, it, it's really part of your core businesses. It's the reason why you exist. How are you faring, would you say, in holding all of these different entities of our society accountable because yes we see the reports we see recommendations year on year but that seems to be where it comes to an end Kathy, uh, it is not so i will tell you why we as the cge currently are in the process of changing our legislation uh, because our legislation allows us to even lay criminal charges against 
uh, certain entities and trying to, to fine tune that to say who 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 in the entity should ultimately be be responsible, etc. We 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 honing in there. But I'll tell you where we actually are failing. It's withholding civil society accountability. And I think all sectors of society, including the media, feel that. Because when you look at the money that gets dispensed annually to civil society in the name of we are going out there to work and empower uh, the most vulnerable, something is not right there. The figures don't match the impact. Where where is this money coming from? Because civil society and NGOs are often complaining about the fact that then there's no funding available to them. In fact, we've seen steps to reduce funding to NGOs, not to increase it. So just explain what you mean when you talk about um, funding that goes to, um, to, to civil society, but civil society is not doing the work. I'm not saying that civil society is not doing the work. I'm saying the impact. We're not seeing the impact. That's the first thing. Secondly, it's me and yours money from the, the tax that we pay that goes to the fiscals and it gets given to them. Obviously, when you look at the level and depth of challenges in the country, it will never, ever be enough. But what I am saying, what has been dispensed that far today the impact is still limited, and that is where all of us need to actually go. Yeah, but that's so, so, so. Apologies, in terms of, but that's such a broad statement to make, because NGOs are funded for all sorts of reasons, running a variety of programs. So, if if you could be specific and say, in the okay. past financial year. X amount has been given to NGOs that are operating in this space, and yet we believe that we have not seen the result of that uh, impact because of one, two, three. Then at least it will it will be fair comment. But right now to just say, you know, NGOs are funded, but we don't see the impact of the money, it's very broad because which NGOs towards what causes? Pepe, you asked me if what is happening in terms of where we're providing oversight is sufficient. I said yes, in terms of some government departments, not necessarily sufficient, but to some extent in relation to government departments and private sector to to an extent. The place that we have not been to is civil society, where so much is already being dispensed, and yet we have not gone there nor do we see the actual impact. But civil society in relation to GBV is still sufficient for my, uh, for, for my response. This is civil society organizations that are benefiting in relation to GBV, we still are not seeing that impact. And that's where we need to go, not to actually say you're not doing enough, but to actually why is the impact so low? Maybe the funding is low. Maybe the skills like with, with, with government are low. Maybe there's, there's a whole lot that is happening in that sector. There are billions generally that are being given out by DSD. And not all of it is going to civil society organizations that are dealing with, with, with GDP. But a, lo- a significant amount of it is going towards that. Uh, Kathy, if you, you, you yeah. can note on, on TV 
there's even more political organizations that are providing support for victims of violence in court, etc., than your civil society organization. Yeah, look, I, I, I still believe that your your statement is too broad and type of thing. It's too broad a statement to make. And, and certainly... Okay working with various NGOs in the space on gender-based violence, I think many would disagree um, okay. with, with, with the sentiment that you're sharing. So it would be better if you're saying it and you're actually showing us the numbers to, to, okay. to demonstrate what you're saying. But it's too broad. These billions that you talk about, where, where are the billions? Just last year, you had NGOs, again at the Presidential Summit for Gender-Based Violence, complaining about how underfunded they are. And in fact, there is, you know, donor fatigue in this country when it comes to matters of gender-based violence. So I don't think that that's necessarily an accurate representation of what the situation is. So I would very much want to see what you're basing that statement on. I want okay. to take Ntlantla, who's out in KZN. Ntlantla, good morning. Good morning, Masuta Katie, and good morning to your listeners in the orchestra. Yes. Uh, uh, my sister, in South Africa, we've got a problem of inequality, and it is promoted by politicians who don't want to see the same people who get to vote for them prosper. You see, my sister, uh, close four of Freedom Charter, that clearly, that uh, if land gets with distributed equally and women can have equal share on land, hey, women can live happily without relying on men. That's because of greedy men who want to manipulate and misuse women. Mm-hmm. They have decided to, to deviate from the freedom charter. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand you clearly in Kanta. Yes, but you've got to get to it quickly because we've got other yes, callers. Yes, and yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, my sister. You see, uh, my sister Katie, uh, w- w- women are being denied so many chances in this country. In positions, for example, for 30 years we haven't had the a, a, a president of a woman. Why? Why? Eh? It's just because they are so incompetent. I don't believe it. There are so many brave women who have got a proper qualifications and who can do excellent jobs than, than this some of the policies in data inside. All right. All right, Ntanta, I'm going to have to leave it there. Apologies, um, because I do have other listeners to take. Dr. Mtembo, you're calling from KZN. Good morning. Please keep it short and brief for me. Thank you, Casey, um, and, and greetings to you, um, your guest. Um, with regards to the NGO and funding, let me go to the, the, the strategic plan on, on, on GPV. Um, I consider that as a, a collection of projects of organizations, NGOs that are sitting on the table, right? Um, I mean, and literature and experience from elsewhere in the world, you know, basically says that these structures work if the program is coming from the state. So 
a top-down approach will work. Secondly, you know I'm not a friend of the CGE. So the CGE cannot monitor something that does not exist. So legal framework has to exist. So is the culture. And this is what I want to propose uh, to the chairperson of the CGE. First, go to the constitutional court and test whether the constitutional provisions of gender equality are paramount to A, culture, and B, religion. And once you establish that, look at all religious scriptures and pull out things that are promoting misogyny, right? Go to churches and everywhere, you record the sermons and you hold the pastors accountable. You know, you do the same with um, with um, um, uh, cultural practices, you know, all of them. And when you do that, you are changing the society. You are addressing um, misogyny, which is the root cause of gender-based violence. And the criminal justice system, where the individual is prosecuted, has failed over 70 years. And I just do not know why we continue to pursue it, because it doesn't work. All right. Thank you. All right. Dr. Stembiso Mtembo out in KZN. Luanda, you in Kabeha, good morning. Yes, good morning, sister. Yes, Luande, go for it. Can, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yes, Luande, yes, you're on the radio. Luandre, go for it. Luande, Luande, means the ocean. Oh, Luande, Luande. Apologies yes. for that, Luande. Yes. Go for it. Yes, yes. I wanna, I wanna, wanna be quite uh, controversial. Right? The main issue here is we are dealing in a, we are living in a violent country, right? Um. When, for instance, Africa go to the U.S. or U.N. to cry about far. Oh, Luandle, it looks like you've we've lost you on the line there. I think you're in an area with bad connection. Apologies um, for that. I'm going to give our panelists an opportunity just to respond to what has been raised by our listeners during um, those calls. And Tabi Singh, I'll give you the, the first opportunity to respond. Firstly, let me clarify. Number one, you asked me about sectors that we have not been to, and I responded that it is private sector. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about how you actually... <laughs> that is the issue. Anyway, let's come back. You're concerned about Secondly, what? I think about how it it was. I don't know. Let's leave it. Don't worry, Kathy. We're running out of time. Don't worry. Your point stands. Let me come back to what the listeners said. I think the listener, the, the one listener, has actually hit it on the nail. Religion and culture is where we should be going. Just this past Thursday, we went to Sikisiki, where we were actually consulting with everyone in that community of 1.3 million people, including the traditional leaders. So we are getting there. This was in response and in preparation to the coming initi- upcoming initiation season, where it's usually followed up by violence against women and the agent. Yeah, so I'll end it there. Thanks. All right. Uh, that is Anodi. Well, the, <clears throat> I, I, the, the reference by the doctor from KZN, I think there is a point about this matter being multidimensional. In other words, the problem 
of arriving at gender equality cannot only be looking at what the legislation itself says, but they are cultural, they are private sector uh, practices that are supposed to be traditional, that has to be put under the microscope to produce the result we want to see. For example, some, some time back, we passed a unanimous resolution that women in sport must be paid equally. So the unequal pay that continues in the private sector is an indirect reinforcement of the uh, assumed inferiority of women and thus rendering them vulnerable to those who, for reasons of economic power, continue to exploit them or treat them badly. So that work in that sector is a crucial one that we must not underestimate. That uh, as relates to the churches, it's an important story that uh, in our work as Parliament's Men's Forum, in other words, working with the uh, Takuwani Rime Men's Forum in the South African National AIDS Council, uh, we have seen a lot of cooperation emerging from traditional leaders and communities, both female and male traditional leaders, including uh, the churches that they will work with us to promote uh, uh, doing away with this problematic practice in our communities that leads violence against women and children. And so that collaboration is an All important right. part of the overall campaign. The state and what it does in the courts, in the legislation it produces, in the management of allocation of resources, as someone raised there, it's crucial that the, the, the state capacity to spend money to provide infrastructure across a number of areas. All right. It's a problem that we are all attending to urgently so that we avoid resources redirected and going back to treasure. Whilst others may call it a saving, it's not a saving really when the way it would have gone to would have made a huge difference to the public on the ground. We want the money spent and spent correctly for the purposes for which it was meant. Building that capacity is what is taking us time and we will get to it. All right. Advocate Kambula, I'm going to ask to give you an opportunity um, to give your closing remarks on the other side of the 11 o'clock news update. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's seven after ten. Welcome to the final hour of the show. So um, as we ended off the previous conversation, we didn't have the opportunity for uh, the representative from the Justice Department, Advocate Gambula, to give her response to uh, some of the issues that have been raised by our listeners um, unfortunately, she wasn't able to stay longer. She does have a meeting that she has to be in in this hour. So uh, she won't have uh, that opportunity uh, to give her final say. But uh, just to uh, say that we did give that out. And uh, unfortunately, she had to leave. So we'll